0: the good and gracious God that you are. And now as we turn our worship to the focus of your word and the teaching of it, we pray that your spirit will bring to us that light and illuminate our hearts and our minds so that we might understand your word, that it might set its transforming power free within us. Help us each, Lord, to hear a word that we need to hear for ourselves today whether it is a familiar word that we've heard before or whether it is a new word that we hear today, we pray that it will help us to grow in you, Jesus, to glorify you and the Father. And we ask this all in your precious name, amen. This morning, I'm gonna ask for your help at the beginning of this message. And what I would like you to do is uh, give a little feedback. And uh, if you have an electronic device that connects to the internet, if you'd pull it out and connect to the internet, you go to menti.com, enter the code, and uh, you'll be ready to go. And you'll be able to help out um, with our message today. As you're doing that, I want to say a few things about this message and about this series. Last fall... We began a series called Marks of a Disciple, and this came from the work that was done over a two-year period. It was done with um, pastors, elders, staff, laity, in which we developed a working definition that provides us with a picture of discipleship. Now, it's not a perfect working definition, no working definition is, but it is Uh, A definition that we think as a church embodies uh, what makes up a disciple and who we think we should be as disciples and what we want to replicate in others, be it our children or students or new believers, in terms of being a disciple of Jesus. This definition was simply this. A disciple is an intentional follower of Christ forever becoming more like Him." Now, if you're logged in to the website, I want us to look at that first question that we have there. And it is this, How long have you been a disciple of Jesus? And um, if you, all of your answers will be anonymous. I thought it'd be interesting to see what our makeup looks like as a congregation. Um, I would imagine there'll be a few more coming, but um, you've seen the five options. You guys are filling them out. While you're looking at that, I want to go back to introducing again this series. We developed 11 traits and competencies of what makes up a disciple. These are aspirational, but hopefully they're also traits, and competencies that we manifest, more or less. We base them on three concentric circles, uh, getting larger. The first circle is at the core of these three circles, and uh, that is our first mark of a disciple. It deals with the upward dimension of our relationship with God. The second circle, which is just outside of that core, contains four traits and competencies, and it deals with the inner dimension, if you will, of our life as a disciple. So at the core is this upward relationship with God, which affects all of the other competencies. And then in the next ring of concentric circles are four traits that deal with our inner life and that are going to be foundational along with the core for the last six competencies that really are what we are going to be presenting in this series this week and for the next five weeks. Now, if we can go to the, we're looking at this, okay, so we have a few people who aren't believers, um, a few people who are less than five years, a little more who are between five and ten years, a few more between ten and twenty, and the vast majority of us have been believers for 20 years or more. Remarkable. It's exactly what I expected to see. So let's go on to the second question. We can get it up. How intentional are you about being a disciple of Jesus? And there are three categories I'm intentional about my growth and evaluating my maturity. I'm intentional about my growth, but not evaluating my maturity. I'm not intentional about my growth or evaluating my maturity. And if you just log into that, that would be a big help to us. Okay, I'll continue talking about these six traits and competencies. So what we see in this picture of a disciple in terms of these three concentric circles is that it begins with our relationship with God. It shapes our inner life and these traits and competencies shape our outer life in relationship to other. And in relationship to others, we're going to be looking at these marks of disciples and what these traits and competencies are. And today, the first one is loves others. Loves others. So, if we look up here at our intentional about being a disciple, we have, uh, let's see, a few people who aren't intentional about growth or evaluating their maturity. We have some more who are intentional about growth, but not evaluating the maturity. And then the larger majority say you're intentional about growth and evaluating your maturity. I will tell you that my expectation was that as we got to believers who have spent more time in their faith, especially evangelicals, I would have expected you to say that you're intentional about your growth. Evangelicals focus on the Word of God focus on growing in Christ. Those are important things to us. But I also would have expected that the longer you've been a believer, the more you just kind of may have wafted a little bit in terms of regularly evaluating how well you're doing as a disciple. I mean, I, I know that all of us come to church, we hear messages and we take them seriously. That, I suppose, is part of the evaluation. And many of us are engaged in life groups and we're studying together, and that is part of the evaluation that probably goes on. But when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about, do I do I take an inventory of how I'm doing as a disciple of Jesus? And I have to be honest. If I answer that question for myself, the answer would be, I'm not intentional about that. I pretty much think that, you know, I cover the broad spectrum pretty well. So now I just kind of work on where life kicks me in the gut, right? Captures my attention and I bring it before God and I continue to look at myself. Now, many of you are far superior to me because you're being intentional about your, your evaluating your maturity and I'm impressed, let me say that. What I want to say today I think, matters. And what this series has to say to us matters because it helps us to evaluate how we're doing in this following Jesus and being a disciple of Jesus. And it's our hope uh, among the leaders of the church and pastors that you'll take this seriously and that we will, as a church, together, be evaluating how we're doing on this And making sure that we're developing these character traits and competencies, not only in ourselves, but in our children and students and new believers as well. If you're a member of the church, I think these 11 traits and competencies will absolutely encourage your growth and evaluation and maturity. But if you're not a member, I think that these traits and competencies will help you to better understand what a relationship with Jesus is actually means. The big idea today is this, that loving one another is essential in following and becoming more like Jesus. Loving one another is essential in following and becoming more like Jesus. Now that's not an earth-shaking statement at all, and all of us should know that. But that doesn't mean that we all live it out to the full. So what I'd like you to do today as we consider this, I'd like you to open up your Bibles, open up your electronic books. If you didn't bring anything, look up here on the screen. We're going to read a text where Jesus talks about loving one another. It's from John 15, 8 through 17. Jesus is with his disciples. This is the last night of his earthly life. He says this either sometime during the Passover meal with them or after the meal while they are reclining and having fellowship with each other. He says, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, verse 8 is actually a summary of the previous seven verses. But it also tells us about the importance of bearing fruit and the connection to bearing fruit and loving one another. It tells us two very important things, verse 8. First, it tells us that bearing fruit glorifies God. Now the word glorify is a pretty religious word and sometimes people don't understand it because they speak more in everyday language and don't fully understand that. But the word means to esteem, value, to honor, to magnify. And so to bear fruit is to esteem God, to value God, to honor God, to magnify him and make him known to others. The second purpose of bearing fruit is that it proves we are disciples of Jesus. We call people who say one thing and do another, what? Hypocrites or liars, don't we? But people who live out their words, We call them authentic and real. We think of them as believable. And so it's one thing to say you are a disciple, but it's another thing to live it out. And Jesus says, when we bear fruit, we are proving that we are his disciples. So the question is, what is this fruit that Jesus is talking about? Well, this discourse of Jesus tells us that this fruit is obedience, that is born out of love. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. We can think, therefore, about this fruit as godliness, right? Jesus says in verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit. In other words, Jesus is saying that he expects that as disciples, we will bear the fruit of godliness in our life. That our lives will reflect who he is, how he is living his life just as he has reflected the life of the Father. So we are to reflect the life of our Savior and Lord. Now, Jesus is not talking about obedience that is born of duty or obligation. He is talking about obedience that is born of love. The sad truth is that much of religious life is pursued out of duty and obligation. And that was part of Jesus' difficulty with the religious uh, leaders of the day. And the truth is that the longer we walk in this life, the easier it is at times to slip into living that religious life that is born out of obligation or duty rather than love. But our obedience our following the commands of Jesus really are meant and to be motivated and come from our love for Jesus, out of his love for us. There is this connection going on. And one of the reasons that I, I, I'm confident that he is not talking about obedience born out of duty or obligation is that he said, I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's be honest. Obligation and duty are life killers, aren't they? They get to be a burden. They get to be a heavy mantle. They can become discouraging and hard and not easy for any of us. But that is not what Jesus wants us to focus on in relationship to the things that he teaches and commands of us. He says that if we will focus in his love, loving him, following his word, that we will bear fruit. And it will produce joy in us joy that comes from him you see when we choose to live out of his love it pleases Jesus he loves seeing us living as God intends for us he loves seeing us living more like him and his joy along with his love, is poured out to all of us so that they may be full and complete in us as well. Jesus brings up joy because he wants to make it clear. This is not obligation. This is not duty. This is meant to be based in love. Bearing fruit is not to be based upon some performance-based religion, but love. Bearing fruit, of course, out of the love of Jesus, is not just bearing fruit when you like it. Pastor Tim and I were talking about it this week. And it's easy sometimes for me to forget, because way back when, love was something that I had to choose more often than not. I still have to choose it, but I've chosen it many times, so it gets a little easier each time. And I want to say that it's not the feeling of love that I'm talking about that motivates us. Love is a choice that involves emotion, thought, will, and commitment. It is choosing to love even when you don't feel like it. choosing to love your husband even when he's difficult. Maybe even whiny like last night. You know, people hurt us all the time. And the question is, what do we do with that? Well, Jesus says we're to turn the other cheek. We're to pray for them. We're to forgive them. We're to love them. But what about if they really hurt you? I mean, really hurt you. What about if they committed adultery? What about if they stole money from you? What about if they cheated you? What about if they stole your job? What about if they lie or gossip about you? What about if they make your life miserable? follow Jesus is a choice. To turn the other cheek is a choice. To pray for them is a choice. To forgive them is a choice. To love them is a choice. This is what we're talking about When we're talking about love is the essence of following the commands of Jesus. This is what he means by love. Acting in love that Jesus commands will help us to grow obviously more like him and live as God intended for us to live. Jesus uses himself as an example of love that leads to obedience twice in this discourse. First, he says, as the father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. But then he uses himself as an example again to go to the extreme. And he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone laid on his life for his friends. That's often the kind of love when we don't feel like it kind of love. And Jesus was at Gethsemane, and he was honest with the Father. He said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But in love for the Father, he ended his prayer saying, Not my will, but thine be done. Jesus went to the cross out of love for the Father. He did the easy things, and he did the hard things. And he kept the Father's commandments all based in love. Jesus says this, that he wants us to be obedient. He modeled it for us. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. And this is my commandment, that you love one another as I've loved you. And Jesus goes so far as to call his disciples friends. He changes their status from follower and servant to follower and friend. No longer do I call you servants, he said, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. The duty of slaves and servants is to be obedient to their master. They are expected to act in obedience without knowledge. But Jesus is not asking duty from us or obligation. He is not treating us As slaves but rather as friends because he gives us knowledge and from that makes us not only his disciple but his friend it's interesting that two of the greatest Saints in all the Bible were referred to and called friend by God Abraham and Moses and Jesus who is the incarnate God offers that same moniker to you and me as his disciples, that we would be his friends. Not because we're acting out of obligation and duty, but because we're acting out of love. Jesus would end this discourse by saying, these things I command you so that you will love one another. It's not the first time he said it that night. He said it earlier as well. He said, "A new commandment I will give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples." Again, fruit, fruit that proves we are his disciples. If they see this love that Jesus is talking about, a love for one another. How do we live this out? That's really the question for all of us. I think it begins by making love our aim with one another. Here's the truth about life in America today, especially in affluent society which we exist within, we exist very independently from one another. We have little sense of community. And as a result, we don't necessarily make our aim to love others. We don't necessarily see ourselves as responsible to others. We don't like where they're going, so we don't have to go there because we have the freedom not to. But that is not the life that God has set apart for us. He has set apart a life for us that connects us into community with each other. I'll never forget as a young pastor... I was in Long Grove, very affluent community back then, still is. And this guy who I met, he said to me, Oh yes, yes, I'm I believe in God very much. Yep, yep, yep. I go out in my garden every Sunday. I said, and Well, I find God in nature. Yeah, me too. There was no accountability anywhere else. There was no relationship anywhere else. There was no community to bring these bonds together of love that start to shape us so that we are more and more like Jesus and we are living our lives more and more as Jesus has called us to and as God has intended for us. It's fashionable today for people to push the church away. And there's a lot of talk about millennials out there who don't want anything to do with church. But I'm old enough to remember the day when there were a lot of people talking about boomers out there pushing away church. And the statistics were dire because those of us who are boomers, we were checked out. We didn't want much to do with the church. But God has a way of bringing us into community because we're created for that. And God loves us, and he wants us to be people of love. And so we find our way into the church. And I believe young people will find their way into the church. I don't believe we can be casual about it. I think we should be intentional about it. That's why I'm so glad that Dr. Bryan is here teaching us. I'm glad that we're going to have Alpha going on. These are important things. They they help us to learn how to relate to one another, how to connect with one another, how to have community with one another, how to let love kind of flow between us and people who are very different than us and are exactly the same as us. We just forgot when we were like that. I'm not discouraged by millennials at all. I'm encouraged by them. I think they got some things awfully right that we got awfully wrong. Yeah, don't go yay too much. You got a lot wrong too. <laughs> Just So how do we make love our aim here? Well, we need to remember that we exist in community, with each other, and we need to treat each other with love. Well, what does that look like? Well, the truth is it doesn't look like we come here on Sunday morning, we worship God, we go off to our life for six days a week. Without any thought of the community and family of which we're a part. Some of us have family, So we don't have as much need for family, but not all of us. Some of us in this community are single. Some of us in this community are widowed. Some of us in this community are struggling and feeling alone with it. Some of us in this community are living in relationship with other people and are desperately alone. But this is to be a place where we can be family with each other, where God wants to bring us together to support and encourage one another. So, we as a church try to create that opportunity for us to live out life together a little more intimately. We do that through our life group ministries. And if you're not part of a life group ministry, then I just want to say to you give us a call in the office, we'll get you connected. That's okay. It's in life group where we pray for each other. We tell each other about what's going on in our life. It's where the rubber meets the road when it comes to faith. It's where when we have questions that are hard, people share their hard things too, give us their suggestions and ideas. Where they challenge us and where they support us, where we challenge them, and where we support them. We also have opportunity to help each other financially, because that's part of love, too. We have a meet-and-need fund. We don't often talk about it, <clears throat> but it's available to help those who find themselves in trouble. Our deacon and deaconesses manage that. And they're the ones that receive the requests and they interview those who are in need and they follow the parameters of the fund and they distribute funds to help other members in our church when they're in need. And every year we expend $24,000 or so through that fund to help one another. By the way, that fund is getting a little low, so If God puts it on your heart, go ahead and make a contribution to the Meet a Need Fund. It will help someone. We have ministries that are designed for us to learn how to love each other. To learn how to live this life that God calls us to. Student ministries. They do life groups just like we do. They're being taught the Bible just like the adults are. They're engaged in all the other things that we're engaged in. They're engaged in serving in our children's ministry as well. We have kids' ministry, and we have adults' ministry. And we try not to have too many ministries because we're so busy that we want to leave room for everyone to be a part of a life group and to have one serving opportunity at least. There are still other ministries that exist that are very important, like the prayer ministry or the funeral ministry. These are expressions of people's love and care for each other. You might not think the facilities ministry is much of of love and care, but those who serve on that, they love their church family. They want to make sure that the facilities are allowing us to engage in ministry in a very real way. And they have some gifts and opportunities to help us there. So they do. Same thing with the office ministry. The church is not a disconnected body. It is meant to be a connected body. Our aim is to live out the commands of Jesus to love one another, to stay in contact with one another, to pray for one another, to serve and minister with one another. These are all expressions of love and support and encouragement and correction that mark a disciple of Jesus and come out of this love. Love others. Out of the love that Jesus gives you. I want to close this morning with these words. I think they sum it up better than any. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for inviting us to be your disciples. I pray today for those who are not yet disciples that, Lord, they will consider who you are and all that you have done, and that they will be able to ask questions with us and challenge us, but also learn from us, and I pray that they might consider your great love for them, that they might realize Jesus' You went to the cross for them, for all of us, to pay that debt for our sin. In love of the Father, in love for us, you did this great thing. I pray that they will open their hearts to you, Jesus, and receive you as their Savior and Lord. And for those of us who are your disciples, I pray that we will be worthy. I pray that we will show ourselves and prove ourselves to be disciples, not by obligation and duty, but by loving you and choosing you above everything else so that we live out your commands, that we live life as you intended for us to live in relationship to God, full and complete And so that your joy may be in us. And that we may share your love and joy with one another and others. I pray all of this, Jesus, in your name. Amen.